five or six or seven years ago, I found this part of Luke's gospel all but impossible to believe. As in, I could not trust that these words could be true, even as I hoped they might be. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. It sounded ludicrous to me. As I remember the time after my mom and my son died, this was precisely where my grief-stricken worry resided. Deep in my bones, I feared that I would not laugh again. Like, really laugh. Soon after their deaths, I, I was making jokes. I registered other people's humor. But the laughter that I heard emerging from my mouth, it sounded like a shell. It was only a half-truth. I was not confident that the full-throated laughter, the kind that rocks your body till your side hurts, that that would ever, could ever return to me. Just before our gospel begins today, Jesus has gone up the mountain to pray and discern. There, he chooses the apostles, the ones he will send out to lead this way in the world. And then upon calling the twelve, he brings them down the mountain to a plain, a level place. That is where he offers the teaching we hear today, the Beatitudes. The crowds are swarming around him, jostling, trying to get close to him, to be healed, to be made whole. And as they are healed, Jesus teaches this wild set of reversals, an almost unfathomable vision for what lies ahead if they follow him. The healing and the teaching, they go together. And they happen with Jesus standing right in the midst of all this pain. Jesus comes down to the dirt of the plain, into the muck of these people's lives. He is present to their afflictions, the ways they've been hurt by the the changes and chances of this life. And he shows up with compassion, with concern for the nasty spots some of them have gotten themselves into by, say, their commitment to wealth over and against each other or by forgetting God. He doesn't have to come down the mountain. He doesn't have to come 
among us. But here he is, immersing himself in this pain, this broken reality. I believe he is showing us that this is how it's done. Healing is not a mountaintop experience, not in the Gospel of Luke. It is a transformation enacted together down in the dust. Healing, it isn't always as straightforward as it sounds in these old stories where you can just touch the hem of Jesus' robes and be made well. Sometimes we need someone to reflect our life back to us to show us what has happened. For me, it came on a busy day a couple of years ago, the first Saturday in June. It was just a beautiful day, clear blue skies. You could see way out to all the sailboats on the bay. And a big crew of us had made our way into San Francisco for the diocesan confirmation service. And on that perfectly clear day, we were standing at the bottom of those massive stairs up to Grace Cathedral, waiting for the service to begin. We took some group photos, and then we were just hanging out, talking and waiting. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw Phil cracking up couple of paces away by himself. (laughs) And so I walked over to him, curious, and asked him what was going on. He held up his phone to show me a photo. And as he did so, he exclaimed, classic Titchener. I looked at his screen and wondering what to see as I I was unaware that he had continued taking photos. He'd snapped a candid one of me and Emily and apparently she had said something really amusing and my head was thrown all the way back in this wave of involuntary laughter. I didn't know quite what to say. Phil seemed to be telling me that this was me being most myself. And on that day, this was awfully surprising to me. It came as as a flashing notice that something had changed, that something had taken hold of me from the inside out. I wasn't done healing. It wasn't that I would not weep again, but oh, that laughter. It was good and true and real. Even more, here was someone who knew me so well, telling me that that this being overcome with laughter, that this was core to who I was.
Healing doesn't happen automatically or by accident. And it does not happen in a vacuum. But this I know. It becomes possible. Healing becomes possible in a place like this. This healing comes to pass when when people come together to learn and practice and then strive to enact the kingdom of God. You do this. Like Jesus, you people come down to the plain. You, You meet each other there on the level ground in the dust. You attend to what is real and present and demanding care. You show up right where the need exists and you respond. I have witnessed you do it countless times. A Stephen minister listening with such intent kindness to the struggles of another over months or maybe years. Just saw a bucket of snakes here. (laughs) Well played, whoever that was. (laughs) You show up as a friendly acquaintance, bringing jokes or maybe meals to someone is just having a hard time even before the meal train begins. You show up as advocates, helping strangers turned neighbors to navigate the asylum process with absolute respect and tenderness. And you show up as kin to me remembering my son and telling me so, walking with me and holding me all these years. This is how these almost too good to be true reversals of the Beatitudes happen, where the blessedness comes as the acute presence of the holy even when life seems anything but. With all those hurting and hopeful people gathered around him, Jesus seems to show them that none of us are ever just one story, that we never remain static in just one place. As individuals and as the collective. We exist in all these places, hungry and satisfied, weeping and laughing, oppressed and freed, oppressor and reconciled. He shows us that we inhabit all these stations, not just where we have been dropped, but also where we come alongside each other because he has beckoned us to rise and respond. As I was driving to the bishop's ranch for our parish retreat this fall, I was listening to an interview with Ross Gay, 
a poet and activist and community gardener and many other things from my hometown of Bloomington, Indiana. As I drove along the back roads, I had to pull over to listen again and then again and again to his final words. Ross recalled one of the most beautiful things he had ever heard said from one of his students. She asked, what if we joined our wildernesses together? What if we joined our wildernesses together? He went on to explore all the many wildernesses that we know far too well. Illness and loss, isolation and addiction, the pain of being mortal, on and on. And then, having arrived at the heart of it, Ross ended with these questions, his own. Is sorrow the true wild? And if it is, and if we join them, your wild to mine, what's that? For joining, too, is a kind of annihilation. What if we joined our sorrows, I'm saying? I'm saying, what if that is joy? Friends, what if we joined our sorrows? What if that is joy? This is the blessedness that Jesus describes there on the dusty plain. This is how and why we come together on this feast of all saints and all souls. This joy, the kind of deep-seated movement of the Spirit that makes us whole again. That it somehow gets crammed into the one word of blessed. But it is so much more. This is the healing that God makes possible, breathing life in and through us, through this web of kin we create with God's help. This is the audacious, spirit-led claim that we can holler, we will, to those five souls who will be baptized today and thereby make ourselves family, held together with a love that can bear all things. This, this is the joy, the blessedness of joining our wildernesses together that we may find our way shoulder to shoulder in ease and strife, in health and struggle come what may. This is the kingdom. You are already building it, already living in it here and now. It comes in the blessedness of joining our wildernesses together, of joining our sorrows together, and still, always, 
ever bearing each other into the light. Friends, take heart. Through all our days, Jesus calls us together in the dust of the plain. What if that is joy? Joy.